Genesis 1, starting from verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Turn with me now to Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the heavens, earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground, and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the earth. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and a man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed, and out of the ground the Lord God made up to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bdellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Turn with me now to uh, Revelation chapter 22. That's the very last uh, chapter of the Bible. We're starting from verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer would there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, 
for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers and the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me, to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and they, that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root, the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who desires the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in his book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of prophecy, uh, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which I described in his book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. This is the word of God. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for the revelation of Jesus Christ that has been recorded down for us in this book. We thank you for such a glorious chapter of Scripture that gives us a vision of the paradise that is to come and how we ought to respond to Jesus' certain and imminent coming. So right now, however we've come, whatever kind of week we've had, wherever we are in this journey of faith, we pray that you would speak to us so powerfully by your Spirit through the Word, and that we will go away uh, truly being blessed because we've heard and responded to your Word. For this we pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Now, for some of us in life, um, it, we are littered with these uh, hashtag so blessed moments, isn't it? It seems like for some of your friends on social media, maybe every other day, uh, there's another reason to post and hashtag so blessed. Uh, whereas for others of us, maybe much less so. But I think for all people alike, uh, there is always this longing for more, right? for more blessing, right? for, for a life uh, that, that's, that's better, that is that's good, that is fuller and wholer, uh, a, a life that is more like paradise rather than like the living hell that we seem to have sometimes uh, as we experience life. Uh, we want these moments to be filled you know, with cherished relationships and, and wonderful experiences, 
Uh, I like to uh, do a search on this uh, hashtag once in a while to see uh, what's out there in the world that people find that they're so blessed with. Uh, and it's usually that, isn't it? It's a time of a cherished relationship, uh, a date night, right, with your loved one, or being able to have that reunion at the airport uh, with a son or a parent they haven't seen in a long time. Or it's some uh, a, a wonderful experience, right, in a beautiful location somewhere in the world. Moments of joy and serenity, of security and satisfaction. Uh, hashtag so blessed describes all of these moments in life where the world just seems right out there as well as the world just seems right in here, where we just feel that things are just right around and within. Now, rightly so, we long for more and more of this soul-blessed life, don't we? No, no one longs for a soul-cursed life. I haven't searched that hashtag. No, we long for the soul-blessed life. Now, the, the Bible opens in Genesis by telling us that we were created for such a life, for such a life of blessing and paradise. And now in the final chapter of the entire Bible, we finish with another picture of paradise. And it's not just about regaining that original paradise in Genesis 1 and 2 in Eden, but it's about getting a, a, a fuller, a better, a greater paradise that's in store for us. Now, we've already been given a glorious picture of this paradise in the previous chapter, in chapter 21. When we began looking at the new creation last week, the new heaven and new earth, uh, pictures the city, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. And we saw last week that the reason uh, that this new creation, this new city was so good is because the uh, God and the Lamb are there, right? There's a reason why it was so good. God and the Lamb are in the city, at the center part. The, 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 the wholeness of that city is the God and the Lamb, and the people of God are there. God and the Lamb are there, the people of God are there, God dwelling with His people like fully and, and wholly and beautifully and gloriously. Uh, we saw this bride city uh, painting a picture of this connection that is unbroken, this intimacy that we have with our Creator, and, and every blessing that flows out of being reconnected uh, with our God and with our Savior. Now, the vision of the bride city last week was so good uh, that I was kind of thinking, I want to preach it again this week. Um, but... I will move on, right? Chapter 22. If you weren't here last week, uh, if you didn't get a chance to read chapter 21 or listen to the sermon, please. Uh, not that I think I'm a great preacher or anything, but I just love that chapter, and I think um, it's just something to, to think about because it's just, today is kind of the part two of the vision of this new creation, this paradise. But we are going to move on to chapter 22, uh, this final picture of paradise. It's the picture now of the garden city. So last week, it was the picture of the bride city. But today is a picture of the Garden City. The Garden City, not just restored, but transformed. Uh, it's the fullness of life and blessing and paradise that our hearts thirst and long for. And the question will be, will you receive it? Will you receive it? And will you hold on to it once you've believed? Will you hold on to it? Now, it's not hard to see how the vision of chapter 22, verses 1 to 5, how it harks back to the Garden of Eden in Genesis 1 and 2. You can see here there's a river that flows, uh, there's a tree of life, and there's the presence of God. Right? The same kind of elements are there. But there are also some very significant differences between this Garden City compared to the Garden of Eden in Genesis. Because this Garden City, doesn't, this paradise, doesn't just restore Eden, does it? it it's a paradise that fixes sin and the fall that came into the original Garden of Eden. 
the, the fall that brought in uh, such pain and suffering into our life, into our world, into our existence, the fall that brought in destruction and death. You see, the Garden City in Revelation 22 is so good because it promises life and blessing and paradise, and it guarantees that sin and destruction and death will never ever again enter into our experience, into our existence. So it's not just a, a renewal, but it's a transformation. Now let's explore some of the detail of this garden city to be able to see this, right? So have a look at verse 1 and 2 to start with. Now the first thing to notice is that God and the Lamb is central and crucial to paradise. God and the Lamb are central and crucial to paradise. We already saw this last week in the bride city, and so it remains true in the garden city. And the river of life flows from the throne of God and of the Lamb. If you go back to Genesis 1 and 2, the, the river flow out of Eden, right? But here, the source of this water is directly from the throne of God uh, and the Lamb. The water of life flows down from the throne through the middle street of the city. Uh, there is life source flowing out everywhere that you go throughout this city. Now, some of you know that I'm a runner. I started running at the beginning of last year. I don't know what possessed me to pick up running. It hurts like every single time. Uh, but I run, uh, and I'm one of those runners where I just need to drink water for some reason. Right? Once I get past sort of, two kilometers, I start looking around for water, right? Where are the water bubblers? Right? Where's the nearest park? Where's the nearest public toilet? Because I'll, I'll drink that too. Uh, or even better, is there a water cooler somewhere, right? For that cold, crisp water to refresh me on my run, especially in this Brisbane heat. But even more important than water source wherever I run, isn't it true that in life, in our journey through life, we want a, a source of life that can somehow cure and overcome all the death that we experience. Perhaps recently you've been through some bereavement where you've seen a loved one get sick and die and you, you longed for there to be a life source that you could give. Or maybe you've been experiencing spiritual death, shriveling up and, and, and dying on the inside and you wish there was a life source that can revive you spiritually and emotionally and mentally. Perhaps there are dying relationships around you or dying hopes and dreams and you, and you long for a life source that can revive those relationships and those hopes and dreams. You see, the Garden City has a river of life flowing down through the middle of the street, an ever-present, ever-flowing life source. And it is watering this tree of life uh, that are on either side of this river. Now, once again, as we remember in Revelation, the visions, they're, they're, they're strange. Because we, most of us will know that the tree of life is a tree, or singular, but it lines either side of the river, right? And it's like all along the entire length, it seems, from the description. There's one tree on either side of the river, the whole, whole length, right? What is it a picture of? It's a picture of abundance. It's a picture of fullness. And this tree of life has 12 kinds of fruit. Uh, not just the one. Back in Genesis, it yields fruit every month throughout the year. It's not seasonal, it's perennial. It's not sometimes there and then sometimes not there. It's always there. It's always available. It's, uh, it's always able to feed, always able to make us full and filled. But there's more, right? It's got 
leaves that will heal. Now, it's not that when we get to paradise that we'll get hurt or that we'll get sick. Now, this is personally great news for me because I don't want to be hurt anymore in paradise. It's not that we'll get hurt and so we'll need these leaves for healing. No, these leaves of healing are to heal all the hurts that we suffer in this life. So if you remember back to last week, it's very similar, isn't it? Uh, to, the, to the promise that God will wipe away every tear from our eyes in the bride city. It's not that we'll cry in heaven, but all the tears that we've ever cried in this world, in this creation, in this life, in eternity, will all be done away with, it will all be wiped away. And so the case with these leaves, all of the hurts that we've ever suffered, all the sufferings, they will be healed. Now, don't we long for that even now? Don't we long for it and we seek for healing and wholeness? Right? In our brokenness, uh, we long to be put back together and made whole again. Uh, as Jordan prayed before, for some reason, there's been a spate of injuries in our church, right? Uh, Jordan longs for his ankle to be put back together so he can play basketball again this Saturday, right? Now, people who've had surgery over the last few weeks, they long to be put back together again. Like Andrew would love his gallbladder back, I'm sure, right? He just had gallbladder surgery. I love to be put back together. I've got so many broken bits, it's not funny on my body. And not just physically, right? Emotionally and, and mentally and spiritually, with relationships that are broken all around us, in the broken societies and communities and the world. It's just bad news after bad news, isn't it? If COVID isn't bad enough, they're super cold, right? Some kind of superhero or anti-hero. We've got wars and rumors of wars. We've got strife everywhere. And we're doing everything that we can to find a way to be healed and to be whole in this life. We find people, right, to, to find strength from and to, to be our shield, our shoulder to cry on. We seek for therapies and therapists, right, to heal the hurts. We throw money and time and energy just to be made whole again, right, to, to find remedies and experiences that will just heal us and bring us an experience of the wholeness of life that we yearn for, we thirst for, we long for. But we know, don't we? We don't find, we can't find healing and wholeness here. We just can't, not in this world, not in this life. There is nothing deep and true that will make us healed and whole. But in the garden city, from the throne of God and the Lamb, where the living waters flow, and, 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 it, and, it, and it nourishes the tree of life, the leaves that heal, there we will find healing and wholeness. The, the blessing of life that is completely restored, life to the full, life made whole again. This is the hope that's held out to us for those of us who will arrive in this paradise that is to come. But there's more, isn't it? There's more. Not, not only will life be restored, creation itself will be restored as well as our created purpose. And that's the next point, isn't it? When God created the world, uh, if you remember reading Genesis 1 and 2, he made it good. He saw that it was good and he blessed it. Every day he saw that it was good and he blessed it. It was very good and he blessed it. But then what happened? Genesis 3 happened, right? Sin entered into our world. And under God's judgment, our blessed world became a cursed world. An accursed world. Sin was allowed to break everything, wasn't it? The, the curse of sin was allowed to break everything. It broke the creation. It broke our connection to God and to each other. And it broke us to our very core. Creation, connection, core, all broken. Sin and sin's curse has touched everything. And I think we know this well. 
Our daily experience is one of living in this accursed world. But in the garden city, no longer will there be anything accursed. No longer. Um, why? Because the, the glory and the fullness of God and the Lamb are there. And where God and the Lamb are, there's only blessing. No curses. We heard this at the end of chapter 21, right? In verse 26. Because the, the glory of God and the Lamb are there, there will be nothing, um, there will be nothing um, detestable, nothing false, nothing evil there. Because the glory and the holiness of God will, will push all that out, kick it all out. It won't be part of our creation. It won't be part of our existence. So blessed creation is restored, but so is our created purpose. Now in the second half of verse 3, we read that God's servants will once again worship. And then in verse 4, uh, the servants will see God's face and God's names will be on their foreheads. And then right at the end of verse 5 there, we see that the servants will reign forever and ever. Now, this seems like four uh, disconnected kind of points being made, isn't it? Uh, worship again, see his face again, names on the foreheads, and then reigning forever. It seems like four disconnected ideas, but I want to suggest to you that they're actually very connected. It's about being made human again. It's about being recreated into the image of God that has been distorted and destroyed uh, as a result of sin in the fall. Now, when we think about God's image, it's helpful to think of it in three points. Uh, identity, relationship, and purpose. And so firstly, when it comes to identity, uh, if you go back to the beginning, Genesis 1, we're created in God's very own image. We're created to bear the name of God, right? And so it will be restored. Now, we live in this fallen world where we are fractured by sin, separated from God. We've been struggling with a massive identity crisis. It's not just a modern cultural phenomena. It's always been like this, that we just don't know who we are. We just don't know what we're here for. There's always, in every generation, every culture, a search for meaning and identity. But in the Garden City, in the Garden City, we will know exactly who we are. And who are we? We are gods. We are gods. And that is the most exalted, the most significant, the most dignified thing, status you can ever be. So that's identity. That's, uh, identity. Second thing is relationship. Right? We were created for intimacy with our creator. So in Genesis 1 and 2, into Genesis 3, G, uh, uh, Adam and Eve walked with God face to face, side by side in the cool of the day, created for this deep connection with our creator, for, for personal and intimate relationship. Sin took all that away, but in the garden city, it will be restored. We will see God's face. And finally, our purpose. You see, in Genesis, we're, we're told very clearly, we're created right, to, to worship God, to do the work of God, right, to serve God by looking after the creation, ruling over this world under God. And so in the new creation, our purpose is restored. We will worship again, which literally is the word for serve. We will serve God again. We are given authority to reign again, to rule, under God, rule over God's world under God. These are the blessings of being made whole and human again. This is the life that is overflowingly full. Creation, connection, our very core, fully restored and transformed, being made whole and human again. This is the promise of the paradise that is to come. Does that sound good to you? I'm very excited. It sounds great to me because I'm done. I'm done with being broken. I'm done with having a broken body, and I'm, I'm done with having a broken heart. 
Uh, I'm done with crying when I watch Korean dramas because of how it conveys the sadness, right? I don't know why I keep watching it. I, I think it's an affinity because I live in a broken world. K-dramas, they are such broken. I, I, just, I just cry because the, the world's just a sad place. I'm done with it. Aren't you done with it? Don't you long for, for wholeness? You don't have to cry anymore. That's the promise, isn't it, of the new creation. And you know, to back these promises, the, the voice from the angel that comes from God and the Lamb Jesus, verse 5 tells us, these words are trustworthy and true. You can believe this because they're trustworthy and true. This vision of the new creation that is to come, the, the bride city, chapter 21, the garden city, chapter 22, it's, it sounds unbelievably good, but it's true. It's all true. You see, the Lord God has purposefully and, and personally revealed it. He made it a point to send the angel to go to John, tell him, write it down, and send it to the churches. And God's always done this, hasn't he? through the Old Testament, through the prophets, through signs and wonders to, to show the power behind the prophet. He made known his words to the people. Through the apostles who followed Jesus, who were given the Holy Spirit, right, to write the words of God so that we know that they're trustworthy and true. And so here also, the book of Revelation, we can bank on this. These are the words of God about what is truly, uh, what truly is and what truly will be. And what will be? Verse 6, right, the next guarantee, I am coming soon. Right, Jesus tells us He is coming soon. Another guarantee. Repeat it twice more, as you see throughout this passage. The Lord Jesus Christ, the, the Lamb of God, will return to bring in this new creation one day. Now, maybe you're like me and you're thinking, coming soon? But this was written, what, 2,000 years ago, roughly, right? Why has it been so long? Now, I think it might help for us to know that coming soon it doesn't always just mean immediately, right? Like the next second, uh, it can also mean like without unnecessary delay. So, you know, some of you, um, maybe you watch movies in the past in the cinema, uh, and I, I used to watch it in Singapore, Malaysia, and I don't know why, but the Malay word for coming soon always got me, right? Akan datang, coming soon, right? The previews, previews been shown, right? The movie's coming soon, and then sometimes it's like 12 months later if it's a Marvel movie, right? But nothing needs to happen. The movie's been made. It's coming soon. You see, in God's timetable for history, Nothing more needs to happen, right? Jesus Christ has died, he's risen again. And now, next thing, he's coming soon. Now, there's another pa passage in the Bible from the second uh, letter to, uh, of Peter, uh, chapter 3, talks about how the timing of God and the timing of man are different. Uh, to us, a thousand years is as a day to God, right? So, 2,000 years ago, it's pretty much Friday lunchtime for God, uh, so to speak. And why is there a delay? Well, it's not because God is slow, 2 Peter 3 tells us. He's not slow, but he's patient. There's a reason. He's waiting for people to come to respond to the Lord Jesus before it's too late. You see, what's important isn't when Jesus is coming back, but that, he's, that he is coming back and that we need to respond to his return. Now, throughout the, Old, the New Testament, there are many times where we are reminded by all the different authors that Jesus is coming soon. And every single time, did you know, uh, it follows with a, a call to respond, to wait, to long for Jesus, to obey Him, to live for Jesus, to please Him. It's always a call to respond that immediately follows the reminder, the guarantee 
that Jesus is coming soon. And so here it is as well, right? For the rest of the chapter, from verse 7 B onwards, it's all about responding rightly and about not responding wrongly. So let's get into it. The first right response, second half of verse 7, blessed is the one who keeps the words of this prophecy of this book. Now we've come full circle with Revelation because chapter 1, verse 3, said the exact same thing, right? Blessed is the one who keeps the words of this book. So right at the start of the book, he says, blessed is the one who keeps it. Right at the end of the book, he says, blessed is the one. Well, it's clear, isn't it? What are we meant to do with all that we've heard from Revelation? This faithful and true word? We can't just remain at hearing. We've got to keep it. It's not just about hearing or even understanding. It's about he, uh, keeping the words. Uh, keeping. What does keeping your words mean? I guess uh, what we normally think of when we think of keeping the words of God, maybe keeping the commandments of God, keeping the rules of God, maybe obeying and, and living out what it says. It certainly means that. But keeping, I think, also means to treasure and to cherish something, isn't it? When I walk down a, a busy, uh, across a busy street, I keep my children close to me, especially my youngest one. All right? Not because I'm obeying or following some commandment, but because I want to keep her safe. I cherish and treasure her. I don't want her to be harmed. And so I think keeping means both these things, isn't it? It's about obeying Jesus. But I think even more so, it's about cherishing and treasuring him and his word. And so I think keeping involves the whole of us, right? Our head, our hearts, and our hands. Knowing it and believing in it and living it out. Now, this is how we must respond to the trustworthy and true words of Jesus. Because this is how you will receive the blessings of the garden, the garden city. So let's work through this, right? First thing to do, get revelation into your head. If you're going to keep revelation, you've got to know revelation. So my first um, encouragement, can I say instruction? Can, can pastors instruct? Yeah, my first instruction to you, go back and read the book of Revelation over the next few days. Right, I know you maybe have some Bible reading program or some quiet time material, but why not just read Revelation over the next five days, ten days? Go and really learn it. If it helps, go back and listen to the sermons from the beginning of last year. Commit it to memory because you can't keep what you don't know. You can't keep what you don't know. Now, you don't have to memorize every single word right from verse 1 onwards, but at least memorize the points that Revelation has raised. Now, the key to the point of Revelation the prophecy of this book is Jesus. Right? You want to know what Revelation is about? It's about Jesus. Well, how do you know this? Chapter 1, verse 1, it begins by saying, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then it goes on to tell us all the revelation, all the visions and voices are about Jesus. And then Revelation 19, verse 10, have a look at that. Okay, flip back in your Bibles, a couple pages. Preachers love the sound of flipping Bibles. Swiping doesn't make any sound, so use the real Bible if you could. Um, but they're all good. Chapter 19, verse 10. It's a very interesting thing that's said there, right? For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. If you've ever wondered uh, what prophecy is about, if you've ever what the prophecy of Revelation is about, well, it's about Jesus. It's a testimony of Jesus, by Jesus, about Jesus. That's what the content is. The point and purpose of Revelation the point and purpose of the whole Bible is Jesus Christ. The, the central vision of Revelation, Revelation 4 and 5, Jesus on the throne, the Lamb of God slain but standing, the one who died and rose again to life. 
The one who is then able to, worthy to, open the scroll, which has the plans and purposes of God in human history written on it. Jesus is the one who is worthy of all of our worship, our faith, and our obedience. Jesus is the one, we are told in Revelation, who is coming soon to bring in the final judgment and to bring in final paradise. The word of Revelation, the word of God, is about Jesus. So let's wrap our head around Jesus in the book of Revelation. And as you do that, then let's also try and grow our heart's desire to love and trust Jesus. Because it's not just about the head, it's also about the heart. It's about growing our awe and our appreciation for Jesus' character. And it's an amazing character, isn't he? he? He's the eternal and almighty God with all power, yet he is tender and sacrificial in his love for each and every single one of us. Awesome, but so intimate. He's got exacting justice and, and frightful righteous wrath that he will pour out, but he's also overflowing with grace and mercy for all who will come to him. Be in awe and appreciate that. And strengthen your heart's resolve to, to hold on to Jesus. I don't let sin or suffering sway you. Don't let the evil that is out there or the evil that comes out from within you make you stumble and fall. Keep that hunger, keep that thirst for Jesus. Long for Jesus and long for the life that Jesus wants to give you. And then from full heads and from full hearts, it's so natural then for our hands to overflow then in worship and service to God, isn't it? Serving the church, serving our family, serving the workplace, serving the community. Uh, we're serving in, in, in practical and loving ways. It's serving people with the gospel message. So the question then is, does this describe you? Especially if you've been around since the beginning of this uh, uh, sermon series in, in Revelation 1, uh, have you been someone who, who is keeping the words of Revelation? You've heard it. Hopefully you've understood it. But have you been keeping it? Some of you have been Christians years, maybe even decades. How are you going with keeping the word of God? How is your head? How is your heart? And how are your hands? Because blessed is the one who keeps the words. So let's keep the words. There's another call to write response down in verse 14, right? The, the last blessed statement in Revelation, there's seven of them, this is the last one. Blessed are those who wash their robes. You see, at the center of Revelation, uh, just in case you haven't heard it yet, I'm going to say it again. At the center of the new creation stands God and the Lamb. And the Lamb is central because it is the blood of the Lamb that makes... Uh, that, that, gives, that blesses people, right? that makes blessing possible. <clears throat> so we mustn't mistake keeping the words of God or the words of Revelation as meaning, you know, you've got to do more. You've got to try harder. You've got to meet God's standards. You've got to earn your salvation. It, it can never mean that, right? It does not mean that because at the very heart of keeping the word of God is receiving the gift of salvation that Jesus gives, See, Jesus' death is what takes sin away, takes away curse, takes away judgment. It's what pays our entry into the very presence of God, the, the holy God. Blessing comes to those who see their need to be cleansed, to see their need for a savior. And so blessed are those who come to Jesus every day to know that we stand before God only because of the grace of his death, his blood that washes us clean. Blessed are those who go to Jesus every day, knowing that our spiritually dead lives that still struggles to, to live for Jesus 
is revived and transformed and renewed as we come to Jesus and we have His blood washing us clean. You see, we're told that the flip side is that those who don't come to Jesus and have their robes washed remain on the outside, aren't they? They're those who are unsaved, unclean, unforgiven, and living in ongoing sin and rebellion. They refuse to be washed. They refuse to come to Jesus. So the question then is, how are you going with being washed? How are you going with coming to Jesus every day? Is He a highest priority every morning, right? Uh, I love it in Lamentations 3. It talks about how God's mercies are new every morning. Uh, It's a reminder for me every morning to remember the mercy of God through the blood of Jesus that washes me clean. To start my day knowing that I stand before God cleansed and I need His power of cleansing to keep living for Jesus. How often do you do that? Because blessed are those who wash their robes. So keep coming to Jesus every day. Now, alongside these right uh, responses are warnings for how not to respond. I won't spend as much time on these, uh, but there are three uh, clear ones in this passage. And the stakes are extremely high, aren't they? They're really high. It's crucial that we don't get this wrong. Even John, right, the Apostle John, the one who wrote this vision down for us, he got it wrong in verse 8, doesn't he? He is so wowed by the angel's visions and, and words that he bows down to the angel in worship. And the weird thing is that he, just, he, just, he did this just three chapters ago in chapter 19. I'm not sure the timing of when he received chapter 19's vision in here. Perhaps even just minutes ago, he did the exact same thing. He was told off by the angel, you can't do that. You can only worship God alone, not, not me. I'm just a servant. Now, the fact that John did it twice reminds us that there is a big danger of worshiping the messenger rather than the one the message points to. Now, I was trying to think about it during the week as to how big of a point to make this because I don't know anyone uh, in this church that I've ever met who worships angels. I know there are people out there who do, but within the circles, I'm not, I'm not so sure. Uh, and then I think, who do, who do we worship? I mean, well, we don't, as Christians, we don't worship other gods. We know that. But do we worship messengers of God? And I, thought, I guess we do sometimes, don't we? The celebrity culture is big, celebrity worship, and even within the church, Celebrity pastors, celebrity preachers, they're a thing now. They've got their big Instagram, uh, you know, or huge followings of tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands even. Um, people fawn after their favorite preacher and, and author. Uh, perhaps even within the local church. Uh, the, we go beyond just admiring and looking up to our pastor or leader or mentor. And we start to maybe be a bit too loyal and we start to maybe even worship the servants, the messengers, rather than God. Now, why is it that we're tempted to worship God's messengers and servants? It's kind of like a strange thing to do, isn't it? But I think, once again, it shows us just how awesome the message is. Because the, the message is so awesome, the messenger seems awesome. But look, it's only God and Jesus that's worthy of our worship. You know, messengers, final reminder, we are only servants. Whether they're angels and great celestial spiritual beings, whether they are celebrity pastor or preacher, whether they are great authors or you're great pastors. Oh, by the way, uh, there's a great pastor in this church. He was my boss once. Uh, I'm just going to point out huge. Because um, 
I, I, yeah, I did say this in the first service, but I, I met Yuich when I was like 15. I went to Burwood, uh, which is a church in, in, in uh, Sydney. Uh, he came and said hello to this high school kid. I was brought along by some friend. And then he sent me a Christmas card. Probably your office sent it. But uh, it impacted me that he, you know, he personally signed it every year. For like, I don't know how many years. I, even though I only went twice, I think, in like two or three years. And, he sent me, and then I met him as a ministry trainee. And he's one of the, the, the hot shots in Sydney, training all the Asian uh, wannabe pastors. And then I went to work for him for a year. I couldn't resist. I got to go sit under huge in his preaching and his ministry. Uh, but I, I was never tempted to worship him. Because the God that he preached, the gospel that he preached, that's what you worship. You're doing your messengers, your servants, a huge disfavor and, 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 and disservice and evil. You're doing God a great evil if you start worshiping the messenger and the servants rather than worshiping God. Now, the second response, the second wrong response is told to us in verse 10. Now, the second wrong response is to seal up the prophecy of this book. Now, the prophecy of this book, look, it reveals God's plan for the world, right? The Lamb's at the very center of it, the eternal fate and destiny of every single person in the planet for all time depends on their response to the Lamb of God. The blessing of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, is very, very great. The curses for rejecting Him are very, very severe and bad. So why would you seal it up? Why would you seal it up? Why would you hide it away? Why would you not let everyone know what Revelation is teaching? Now, once again, I think Revelation gives us the answer, right? Because Revelation was written into a situation where there were two problems, compromise and fear. That's why Christians were shrinking back. Compromise, right? The enticement of this world, it, it sucks you in. You're sucked in by the lure of worldly comfort and pleasure and acceptance. And so believers, you know, we would say things like, you know, I believe. I believe the words of Revelation, that they're true. But look, it's not the only thing that matters. You've got to have balance, right? Uh, I've got other things that matter to me as well. I've got other priorities. I've got other pursuits. I've got other concerns. I've got other interests. And so we compromise, now, I, I'm a compromiser. Uh, coffee, right, used to be uh, very important to me. Um, short of growing the green beans myself with a coffee tree in my house, the entire rest of the process I was obsessed by. Right, I would buy green beans, and I used to source it from this guy, a Christian guy who used to sell it, but his beans weren't of the highest quality, so I shifted right, to another company that sold me better green beans. And then I would roast these beans in my own house, and I would create my own blends. And I would have uh, spreadsheets of the timings for the roast right, to get it just right. And then I'll be obsessed about the machine and the grinder that I would buy and whether I want to upgrade. And I'm obsessed about the accessories, right? the coffee cups that I, uh, especially coffee cups, I've got so many, it's ridiculous, right? It's just, it's, it's wrong. And I talked about coffee all the time. Uh, and, I, and this is a confession, a public confession. I converted many in this church to coffee drinking. And the waste of money that coffee drinking can be with the machine and the accessories and so on, right? Public confession, I've probably wasted tens of thousands of God's money on a coffee hobby from you guys. So if you guys repent, because I am publicly repenting now. But look, I compromised. I started to compromise my coffee obsession. I started to realize that it wasn't the biggest thing in my life. The gospel of Jesus Christ gripped my heart more. I wanted to see people come to faith. I wanted to see people grow in their love and trust in Jesus. And so I sealed up my talking about coffee. The only time I talk about it now is when I confess it publicly. And I do it about once a year, on average maybe. 
But besides that, you won't hear me talking about green beans or roasting on my machine. I couldn't care less, really, anymore. I still drink coffee every day, and I still enjoy it. But I'm a compromiser. And we do that with our faith in Jesus. Maybe one time we, our first love was so strong we couldn't help but not seal up the words of the gospel. But now somehow we compromise and we stay silent. But then so will fear, isn't it? Fear. Now it's scary, isn't it, to be a Christian these days? It's scary to bring up Christianity in our everyday conversations. And it's even scarier if you actually want to talk about the things that Revelation talks about. Judgment and hell. And then proclaiming that Jesus is the only way the only truth, the only life. And we're thinking to ourselves, if I, if I do that, my family will flip out. I will be committing social suicide if I talk about Jesus and bring up Christianity in my day-to-day conversations. Think about the job opportunities that I might miss out on. Even, I might even get the sack if I talk about my faith openly. Now, the book of Revelation has been very realistic, hasn't it, about the persecution and the opposition that will hit hard for those who stand for Christ and who will share Christ. And even here in verse 11, Jesus reminds us that haters are going to hate. Evildoers are going to evil. Let them. Whereas for us who are holy and righteous, we must press on in testifying to Jesus, in sharing Christ. Throughout Revelation, we've been urged over and over again to conquer, to conquer, to be courageous, to be witnesses who won't shut up about Jesus who won't shut up sharing the gospel. Why? Because Jesus is coming soon. We're reminded again here, isn't it? Jesus is coming soon. And when he comes, final judgment will fall. Trustworthy and true words. But also, eternal paradise, the blessing of life to the full. That will come too. Trustworthy and true. And so then the final error, I think it's a pretty clear error, isn't it? Seen in verse 18 and 19. Don't change the words of this prophecy. Don't add to it. Don't subtract from it. That's a warning to every believer, whether you're a teacher or whether you're a leader or whether you're, you're just a believer. It's for everyone. Don't change the message. Now, Revelation is a message about the Lord Jesus Christ. The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus Christ, about Jesus Christ, uh, by Jesus Christ, right? Now, when the Lord Jesus revealed, what the Lord Jesus has revealed about himself is enough. So don't add to it. What the Lord Jesus has revealed is trustworthy and true, though so don't take away from it. Right? It's enough, so don't add. It's trustworthy and true, so don't take away from it. Now, it's always been a danger for readers of Revelation to, to want to add or subtract from it. Because in Revelation, there's, there's so much to speculate about, isn't it? If you've been reading along, if you're following along, you'll know that there's all this weird stuff that people go to town. Right, to predict the future, world events, world leaders, right, end-of-day predictions, and they add and they add things that are not about Jesus, things that distract you from Jesus. Or there's a temptation to take out from Revelation because it talks about things like heaven and hell and judgment and curses. And so it's not really acceptable culturally to talk about stuff like that anymore, so we take it out. Right? We deny it. The same is true, of course, of the entire Bible, and especially the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's always this temptation to add to it, to make it sound better, more acceptable, to take away from it, to make it more palatable, right? More acceptable to our culture. The stakes are of the highest order. We fall into this error, and we change the word of God 
the, the warning here is severe, isn't it? You add to the word, God will add to you, pile onto you the judgment. You take away from the word and God will take away your life. It's severe. It's, it's, the stakes are high. Now let's bring everything together as we finish. Now the book of Revelation began by telling us that this book of prophecy, prophecy is all about Jesus Christ. At the very center of God's plans for human history is the Lord Jesus. And now we get the final words from Jesus' own lips. Surely I am coming soon. Verse 20. Surely I am coming soon are Jesus' own final words in this book. It's the final reminder that we need that this is true and this is happening. This is true and this is happening. And before he comes, you hear that, right? In the verses before, verse 17, he invites everyone to come to him, especially those who have never come to him before. We see in verse 17, the Spirit of God are saying, come. The, the bride, right, the church, uh, inviting you to come. Those who have heard and believed say, say, come and join us. Come and join us, those of you who have been thirsting for life. Those who have been longing for that fullness and that goodness and that blessing that we're created to enjoy, but that has been lost as we, as we thirst in this life full of its brokenness and of its pains. As we wish for this hell of a world to become a paradise. The invitation from the one who will give us paradise says, come. You see, you're right to desire these blessings and this fullness and wholeness. We are created to have these things, but you won't find it here. You won't find it in this life, not in this fallen world, you won't. You won't find it anywhere but in Jesus Christ. So come to Jesus who gives you this living water that fully satisfies your thirst. Come to receive from him blessing and life and paradise forever. Because surely, he is coming soon. And for those of us, and this is the final word, for those of us who are Christians who have already come to Jesus, then let us hold on. The purpose of Revelation was written to Christians who are compromising and fearful. So let us not compromise. Let us not be afraid, but let us hold on. Let us grow our conviction and our courage. Let it grow stronger. Let us grow in our service and obedience to Jesus. Final words of the entire Bible is a word of grace, isn't it? The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. The grace of the Lord Jesus is with us and for us. So let's pray. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for the way you so clearly and powerfully speak towards words of life and truth. In this beautiful chapter of the last chapter of the Bible, we see how your intention, your plan, your purpose is to make all things right, to restore to us what you created us to enjoy, what you save us to enjoy, which is to be in your presence, to be in the presence of you, the Father, your Son, the Lamb, to be called by the Spirit to come and enjoy your presence, and from it flows out life, life to the full, life of healing, life where we are living in a restored creation, reconnected with you, made whole to our very core, where all of our hunger and thirsting for paradise and for goodness and for wholeness will be fulfilled. So please help us to respond, Father, rightly. Please help us to come if we've not come to Jesus yet. Please help us to hold on without compromise or fear for those of us who have put our trust in Jesus, to be courageous in living for Jesus and sharing the gospel. 
Help us, we pray, Father, to avoid all the pitfalls of false worship, of sealing up your words or of changing it. But help us to hold on to the trustworthy and true word. For this we pray in Jesus' most precious name. Amen.